Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast by Virgin Active, where we dive deep into conversations with the best and the brightest minds in the health and well-being world. If you've got questions about health, exercise, or any dimension of well-being, we've got the answers one expert at a time. I'm Mark Cito, your host, because I love all things well-being. From exercise, work, relationships, and going deep inside our minds, I'm here to explore it all with you. This is what they came for. Welcome back to Virgin Active Minds. Today's guest, James Newen, was a successful entrepreneur with all the worldly things, in inverted commas, you could ask for. Successful businesses, he was creating content for Sky News, CNBC, Forbes magazine, but now he's telling a different story through spoken word poetry. We chat about this shift and what it takes to forge a new path. And we also discuss the power of writing, telling a story, and poetry in particular. James also gives us a demonstration of his work towards the end. I didn't think poetry was going to be my thing either, but I really took a lot from this chat. James has a lot of good stuff to share with the world. So here we are now. Enjoy. James Newen, welcome to Virgin Active Minds podcast. How are you? Mark, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, man. I am so stoked that you're here. Quite an interesting topic. I'm very excited to get into it, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. Uh, So very successful entrepreneur come spoken word poet. I'm very keen to understand your journey, how you got here, um, what you do, Um, And also, I guess, you know, really the power of spoken word poetry um, and what that can potentially do in regards to wellness and mindfulness and health. Um, So, yeah, let's start. Can you give us a bit of a synopsis on who you are and what you've done and what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I kind of started my quote unquote career as an entrepreneur. Like I never really worked for anybody else. I started building my own businesses uh, as young. I think I built my first business when I was 17. Um, And then that just became my life. And at the time it was because I thought, you know, the currency that made me valuable or what I really needed in life was the materialistic achievements, right? The accolades and all those things. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time kind of as a teenager slash a young man thinking that, you know, the more things I was able to achieve, the more value I had in the world. So I went through that whole journey um, and, you know, I dedicated my life for, you know, a good close to a decade to, yeah, just building businesses and learning how to do that really well. Um, And I was gifted with some early wins in my career, I guess you could say, which just really just gave me the reference of, oh, even when you tick all the boxes that you think you wanted, like growing up, that was the dream, right? Tick all the boxes, get to a point of, you know, financial stability or security or whatever it might be, get some form of notoriety. So I've been on like all of the media channels. Um, I've been a contributing writer on Forbes, been featured on CNBC, Sky News, like the whole gamut, right? So I ticked that off quite early in my 20s. And so, and then I got to a point where I was like, oh, now what? And so... You know, in a lot of ways, there's this quote from Jim Carrey where he says he wishes everybody got rich and famous so they could realize that's not what you really want, right? And, you know, it's all relative. I'm not saying, you know, I was balling out of control. I wasn't saying, you know, I was 
super famous or anything, but, you know, in my silo, in my filter bubble, I got to the place where, you know, I had the level of recognition and acknowledgement that growing up, I thought I really wanted. And so, you know, I kind of ticked off those things and I was super obsessed with business. And then afterwards I was like, oh, there's still an emptiness, you know, and there's this beautiful um, Socrates quote that talks about this idea of if you can be unhappy with something, that thing doesn't make you happy. Right. So if you can be unhappy with money, then money in and of itself doesn't make you happy. If you can be unhappy in a relationship, that partner or the idea of a relationship in and of itself doesn't make you happy. I just had that lived experience where I was like, oh, I had all these things. I ticked all these boxes and I still wasn't happy. And it kind of culminated, Mark, in about 12 months ago, really, where I was going through actually my own mental health challenges. And, you know, from the outside, a lot of people were you know, I I guess part of them were really confused Um, and not that they would know about it until kind of uh, retrospectively when I shared the story. But, you know, my life at the time, again, from the outside or stereotypically looking in, it seemed like a good life, right? Uh, I was working about one or two hours a day, max. I had a beautiful partner. Yeah, I wasn't worrying about money necessarily. Um, Yeah, and so I was kind of living the semi-retired life, if you will, but really, I was f- feeling, parts of me were just feeling as unfulfilled as I'd ever felt. And really beneath it all, I was still feeling lonely and I was still feeling unworthy. And so that really culminated in the place where I started to do a lot of inner work. And so, yeah, it kind of took me on uh, a process and a journey of a lot of trauma healing, a lot of going inwards in my life and understanding everything I've always looked for outside was always actually inside. And then the beautiful serendipity of the universe kind of delivered to me poetry along the way. And so I had a really, really beautiful experience early in the year uh, listening to Amanda Gorman's inauguration poem at Joe Biden's inauguration. Um, And yeah, that was as close to at the time I could describe as a spiritual experience. Um, And yeah, it was was really crazy because I felt so connected with the words. I felt so connected with her purpose. Um, And I just remember just crying so much, just listening to it. And, you know, I'd never really cried listening to poetry, you know, poetry. I've been a writer in my previous life, you know, I've done that. Um, But I never had written poetry formally. And so that looking back on it was like a beautiful nudge from the universe. And then it kind of, kind of flash forwards a few months. Like I wasn't actively writing any poetry, but then as I started to do a lot more inner work, um, with an organization called Spiritual Fight Club, um, which is mainly around like healing masculinity, around like healing our parts and you have to feel things to heal things, right? It's the adage. And so as I started to do this, poetry started to flow through me. And so previously my, you know, my canvas for creativity was business. That's where I would do all my creative things. You know, there's a problem to solve and I'd find a creative way to solve it. But other than that, I hadn't really identified as quote unquote, a creative or, you know, have any artistic hobbies. And then, yeah, at the start of this year, I, the poetry just started to flow through me in the same way previously, like articles would throw, flow through me, essays when I would journal. And then I just had this kind of gut feeling, Mark, where I was like, oh no, I think, I think that's something. I think I should just listen to this little voice inside my head. There's another beautiful quote from Alicia Keys, where she talks about turning down the volume of the world to hear your own voice. And that's kind of my experience at the start of the year. Like as I started to come more into myself, like the noise from around started to quieten down and I heard this little voice. This little voice inside me was literally speaking through poetry. 
because I was just writing down whatever was coming through me. And, you know, flash forwards, what, nine months or so now, it's become just the significant part of my life. Yeah, it orients a lot of, you know, how I approach business. It orients a lot of how I approach life, orients a lot of how I believe one of my big, um, my big purposes is in the world and my big gifts is being able to communicate things in, you know, pithy and unique and potentially unorthodox ways for them to land with other people. And so, you know, spoken word now is just such a big part of my life. And so, you know, I write daily. It's part of not only kind of like a, like a mindfulness practice, which we can definitely talk about a little bit later as well, but it's just a very therapeutic process for me to introspect and understand and feel through all my parts at a very deep level. And, you know, I've just been gifted with, you know, opportunities from that as well. You know, I've written poems for, you know, different brands and organizations for branding. You know, I have one of my companies is a media company. Um, but then I've also been on, you know, other podcasts and I've been on radio shows and stuff performing my live poetry. And so, you know, into next year, I do see myself, you know, touring a lot of my poetry um, as a way for not only, you know, the social impact organizations I work with, but really just in general, it's a way to spread really important messages. And so, yeah, it's, I definitely see it as a gift I've been given from the universe. Not only, mm. I'm not talking about literally the uh, ability to write, but it's just been the awareness of understanding how powerful this really is in my life. So they're the headlines, let's say. <laughs> Wow. I look, I had no idea that this is such a, um, I guess, a new skill or tool that you've discovered. It really, as you said, you know, hearing that um, poem at Biden's inauguration as a bit of a spiritual moment, it sounds like that's, you know, absolutely that's what's happened. It's been a real calling. I had assumed coming into this conversation that this was going to be you know, I've been doing this since I was seven. It's just something that's always been on the side that I've just enjoyed. And, you know, now I've got to the point in my life where I really want to make it a thing. But it's so fascinating that it's been such a recent, you know, because I've heard you um, perform, I think it's on um, Spiritual Fight Club's website. Um, and, you know, listening to that, I was like, how does someone even create that? You know what I mean? <laughs> and it must have taken like years of practice, but it, clearly this is something that, you know, is inside you. And as you just said, you know, it's kind of, you've, uh, you've been awoken to it, um, which is so fascinating. So I'm, I'm keen to get a little bit more into that. But before we do, um, a question we ask all of our guests, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, yeah, it might sound a little bit contrived and trite, but, you know, what I'm most present to right now is, you know, I wake up genuinely wanting to leave the world a better place than when I came into it. And that really permeates through everything I do. And so, you know, when you think about, creativity or skills or anything, right? A lot of it happens behind closed doors. You have to work really hard on the monotonous and the repetitive to get to a stage, whether you're talking about sport, whether you're talking about, you know, music, or for me, it is writing. And so, yeah, I, I think being able to learn business and become, you know, execute in that way really powerfully, but also being able to write words that are able to land in ways that other people haven't been able to do it before. Like I, I really feel like it's a mandate for me to be able to change the world in that way. And I wake up every morning trying to think about and really feeling through, all right, how do my actions today, how are they going to leave the world better than when I woke up yesterday? Mm, beautiful. 
All right. Spoken word poetry. Can you tell us what it is? Um, and is there a difference between spoken word and po- in just poetry or music yeah. or books? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the main distinction is, is kind of in the name. And so, you know, poetry in its very definition, right? Like it's, it's very free f- flowing right? It, it's not restrictive. It's not prescriptive um, in the sense that not all poems have to rhyme necessarily, you know, different poems have different cadences and different rhythms and all that stuff. And so really the distinction for me, what spoken word poetry is, it's it's poetry that is being written to be performed, right? So there's, you know, written poetry that, you know, people are more accustomed to where they're just reading it, right? And so they're in books and things like that. And potentially they're sometimes shorter form, not always, Um but they're written in a way that when you're reading it, you can really feel that. And so spoken word poetry is just like a, let's call it a different genre or it's adding a few more elements to it. So it still has the same, you know, the musicality of written word. It still has the same um, imagery and all those things, but it's, then it's also about the performance. And so spoken word poetry in the same way, you know, you can read lyrics of a song, but then when someone actually performs the song, there's different soul, there's different, you know, energy, there's different emotions, there's different feeling throughout it. Well, spoken words, the same, like spoken word poetry in and of itself, isn't just the poem, it's the whole performance of the poem. So it's, yeah, you can think of it more like that. It's more of a performance of a poem. Okay. And you've obviously had some experience with writing previous to the past 12 months um what do you think it was about hearing that poem at the start of the year that really drew you to this yeah so yeah I have been writing all my life and so you know when you referred back to you know when I'm seven I have reflected on kind of the the journey and I was like I was writing rhyming couplets and you know poems like that when I was young um but it was never something I thought I would take seriously in terms of you know how it really shaped my life um, I thought I was just writing, you know, a Mother's Day card in writing a poem for my mom, you know, when I was like 10 or something like that, right? Um, for me, the best way to describe it, uh, which in some ways might uh, not feel like total closure for your audience, but it was a really spiritual experience at the start of the year. So in a lot of ways, language is so limited, the irony of all that, me coming on here speaking about poetry and the power of words, but language is limited in and of itself to be able to describe all of the felt experience that happened when I did listen to Amanda Gorman's poem. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like I feel called, right? Rather than me trying to prescriptively label what I am trying to do, it feels like a calling. I'm called towards writing poetry. And, you know, I've heard artists and creatives talk about this before where they talk about themselves as a channel, right? And so they become in a deep flow state, in a deep trance. You, you, you think about painters, anything like that, where you ask them, how did you do that? And they say, I don't know. I just was feeling through the painting. And so that has been my experience of um, the poems that I feel most connected with that I've written this year as well, is just this idea of, you know, I do the inner work to kind of clear my channel, let's say. And then it's just, it's literally just creativity flowing through me. And so what drew me to Amanda Gorman's, you know, I do love words. Like I loved the musicality of her performance. I loved the message and the power and, you know, the potency of her, of what she was trying to convey through her words. The audience can't see this because it's just audio. But if you actually look behind me, that is Amanda Gorman's poem created oh. into a piece of artwork. And um, 
yeah, so I just feel really drawn to her ability to move, let's call it a mission forwards, move a purpose forwards and really make a powerful impact on people she's never, ever met. Like I haven't met Amanda Gorman, but she changed in a lot of ways her performance, her poetry and what she stands for and her embodiment really just shifted my life. And I'm sure it shifted many people's as well. And so, you know, for me, I see my ability to write and consequently perform my poetry as a similar, you know, along a similar track. And so, you know, I feel really drawn to that. And, you know, for me, purpose is what drives me now. Um, and impact is what really drives me. And, you know, words are one of the things that I can use to move um, move the world forwards in a direction that I think is going to be, you know, powerful and beautiful and advantageous to future generations. And so, you know, that's what I'm using it for. And, you know, I think business is also another one of the skill sets that I've just developed. I feel really called to that in combination. I feel like I'm able to leave the world a better place. Mm. And do you think this poetry is representing who you are? Or do you think, I guess, you you know, you're also writing on the behalf of brands and businesses as well, right? Yeah. And so the way I would describe it is, you know, a lot of the inner work I do is around, say, let's call it parts work, right? So different emotions we have in us are just parts of us, um, as well as, you know, some people refer it to it as inner child work, you know, whether it was my little boy or me as a different stage in my life. Sometimes they're the parts that are writing my poems. So sometimes my little boy has written poems, you know, and sometimes, you know, me as a teenager and that part of me wrote a poem. And sometimes I'm writing a poem as dialogue back to them. You know, some like I've written a poem as an apology to my little boy, right, for not being there for him, like spiritually and energetically for, for parts of my life. And, you know, so... In some ways, my poetry is kind of the most real and raw version of, you know, uh, a form of a journal. Mm. People's like uninhibited insight into the feelings that I've lived through and the different parts and what they've gone through. Um, And so that's what I would say in terms of that. And, you know, when I'm writing poems for other brands and things like that, I, I really make sure that I'm only working with brands or writing poems on things I feel soulfully connected to because otherwise it feels just contrite to me. Like, I don't think I'm going to be writing, I'm <laughs> um, writing a poem on, you know, a reality TV show that I have no alignment with. Right. Mm. But I've written, you know, one of the series that I'm doing right now is called poem portraits. And so the same idea that, you know, people get painted in like artistic portraits or well, for me, I paint people in poems. And so you know, I have a beautiful team that, you know, helps with the creative of it and they actually put it into, um, actually put it into a portrait and create the words of my poem into a face um, uh-huh. of that person. But yeah, I've done some, uh, yeah, a, a mate of mine who's been on this podcast before, Nick Brax, you know, I've done a poem portrait of him and, you know, just a few other people and, and people around mental health and, um, yeah, just messages that I think are really important to share. Like that's one of the powers for me that I think words have. And so if I'm able to illuminate somebody's story, illuminate someone's soul really is behind it for me. Because a lot of people think about like what you do, like the what, but how many people actually feel through who somebody is and, and how their soul is actually impacting the world. And, and if I can share those things and create an expose of those things in a poem, to share somebody like in the same way someone paints a portrait of someone 
Well, every different artist is going to paint the portrait slightly differently, right? Because they feel the person, they feel the subject differently. Mm. Well, what if the same thing was true with poetry? What if I felt to every single person, what Mark, what if I felt your soul differently to somebody else? And then I could shed a light and I could spotlight a part of you that was potentially, you know, potentially not seen by somebody else. And I could shine light on that and I could share that message and I could share that impact with other people through a poem. And so for me, yeah, my poem portrait series is is something I actually have a ton of fun with because I have, yeah, it's so fun meeting people and speaking to them and, um, but also just sharing kind of, yeah, messages and journeys that I think are really impactful for the world. Mm. That's, there's two things that just popped up for me as you're speaking. The first one in regards to the poem uh, portrait, how does that is this a, you know, you're have, are you, I'm picturing you having a conversation with someone, getting to know them, getting to know their life story, and then that becomes a poem. And if I understood correctly, those words even shaped into an actual portrait of the person? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I haven't done a, a full release or a full launch of kind of my socials and stuff like that. But you know, I do have an Instagram page where you can see all the portraits that I've, like, I've been... Have, painted with poems and so um yeah i've done a few celebrities where i haven't had the discussion with them so you know, i've done people like uh cara Delevingne, i've done you know kevin lover basketballer lady gaga um but then i've also done you know people who i have had conversations with you know i do sit down with them and i speak just like a normal conversation and getting to know them i'm feeling their soul i'm feeling their like their character and their story and then i'll just write something on it and then, yeah, my team will literally put it into a actual portrait of the person. And, yeah, it's kind of show, don't tell, so you guys can check it out. But, um, mm. yeah, it's been really beautiful uh, just as a way to express my kind of acknowledgement and appreciation for people's stories. And it's done in a, like, it's a novel way. It's a unique way that I haven't seen done before. Yes, it's it's com- sounds completely new to me, and it's it, it just sparked my interest because I was listening to a podcast this morning, one of the episodes from a podcast called Memento Mori, uh, which is a podcast about death. death. Um, and today's episode was about writing your obituary or your death notice, um, and he was kind of explaining how mm. you know how you how you put that together and what that story becomes, and then when you're talking about this as a uh, a poem portrait. I was like, wow, that's actually, that could be a, I mean, of course it's quite a sad topic, but it'd be quite a beautiful obituary. <laughs> yeah. Like for me, it's, I think the book it came from was Tuesdays with Maury um, by Mitch Elba. Um, n- not the idea of a poem portrait, but the idea of why wait till someone's dead to give them an obituary. A hundred percent. Isn't the most beautiful thing about, you know, the human experience is to connect with other people and to felt, feel the love of our community, feel the love of the lives we've touched. And so, you know, it feels like almost a waste to wait, to wait till somebody in the physical realm has passed to be able to honor them in those ways. A hundred percent. And this host was saying also that it's quite a cathartic process because if you're writing your obituary, which is, you know, how the world remembers you, then potentially there's some learning in that today, right? Like for me as a 39 year old, do I want to be remembered that way? And I've got time right now to make changes if I don't, you know what I mean? So it's quite a, 
it's a learning self-discovery journey, uh, which could be quite powerful in how you step into tomorrow compared to, you know, staying as you are. A good friend of mine is, uh, he shared this distinction with me where most people think about their CVs, right? Most people think about what they're building on their CVs. But what if you flipped it and you started thinking about your obituary? Mm. What do you want to be remembered for rather than what are you trying to stack in terms of achievements? And I just really love that distinction because it's Mm. just such a nuanced reframe. But imbued within that is like exactly as you're sharing, Mark, it's just like a focus and an acknowledgement on presence and understanding that we all have choice in every single moment to be able to change the directory of how people remember us. Definitely. And we do not want our obituary to be our LinkedIn profile. (laughs) Yeah, way. I'm sorry. I love my job, but you know, that's, uh, you know, it's not the, it's not necessarily how I want to be remembered. Um, so yeah, the other thing that came up when you spoke about, you know, it's kind of like your diary and I don't know if you do keep a diary, but if you were to keep a diary, a typical, you know, a typical way that we might keep a diary, would you find that harder than writing poetry? Yeah. So I've gone through iterations of this too. So I was journaling every day for about six, seven years uh, without fail every single day. And like, because I was pretty into writing, like my journal entries would be quite long. (laughs) Um, And Mm. I went through a stage where I actually started writing letters to my future self and letters actually to my past self. Mm. And that was part of my journal entry. And so, you know, I always found that, um, yeah, because I'd make sure it's really real. if I was speaking, like I wrote, a, I used to, I spent about two months, so about 60 letters, I'd write to my younger self and just apologize or, you know, just speak to him and share some wisdom with him and just share things. And that was a beautifully cathartic and healing experience. Um, poetry for me feels, like it feels quite natural uh, in the same way writing those journal entries or diaries was quite natural to me. Um, but now it feels almost like um, it's like an artistic evolution. Because the ways that I'm writing now, I still feel through the same emotions, like, because it requires me to, yeah, and even as I share these things, I can feel parts of me come up where it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm feeling all those things, you know, I'm remembering back to the letters I wrote to myself. And, you know, when I write it in a poem now, it's like when I read it, it's almost like, it's almost like an ode to that experience. And so previously, you know, as a journal entry, it's more of a recount, it's more of a summary, it's more of a, you know, conversation, let's say. And now with my poetry, it feels more like an honoring. It feels more like an ode and, you know, musicality and uh, and art and expression and all those things built into it. Um, and so, yeah, I've definitely read my poems back and it, it just lands differently. And so I don't find it necessarily harder, but it, it is different. Is there a community out there that I don't know about? <laughs> A spoken word community or are you kind of, is this a a new forged path? Are there people out there like doing what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I, I think there, there are other, like I didn't invent spoken word poetry. Uh, there, there's definitely other spoken word artists. To be honest, I haven't met too many in Australia. Like I have a few friends who like tour their poetry in the States and stuff um, that we've shared poetry with each other and, um, yeah, so I don't. I think there is a community. Um, I'm not too engrossed in it in the moment. Like for me, more it's like it's less identifying strictly with spoken word. It's more identifying with kind of the purpose behind my spoken word. So you know, 
say the community with like spiritual fight club. And then, you know, we also have the divine feminine, which is like our, our women's division as well. Like we're creating a community around self-love and around like spirituality and around those sorts of standards. And, you know, I identify more strongly with those communities or previously in my life, entrepreneurial communities. And, you know, spoken word really is just how I see it is just my medium of expression. Right. So some people are artists and they might have artistic communities, but really they just still have their friends. They still have their family. They still have their communities and their contribution to expression to those people and that who are nearest and dearest to them is just their, their paintings or their illustrations or, you know, people who are singers and, you know, they don't always necessarily hang out with musicians. And, you know, I, I definitely am drawn to people who have an appreciation for prose, let's say. So whether it's written or whether it's, you know, spoken, I definitely love that. Um, but no, no formal community uh, where, you know, we're hanging out every Thursday writing poetry together. Not that I know of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and it has been quite an awakening, awakening and, and I guess a time of change and transition for you. Um, what's been some of the obstacles that you've faced? Yeah, awesome question, Mark. Um, yeah, the main obstacles for me has been internal ones. Um, and I think this is true for everybody who is doing the work or doing inner work that you're just going to get to certain levels or certain, you know, like let's call it milestones in the path or where it just becomes difficult (laughs) because it's challenging for parts of you to then start to be really brave and face things that are really traumatic and really hard that you've gone through. And not, I'm not saying, you know, I personally have gone through capital T trauma, but like trauma in and of itself is relative, right? Because, you know, as a little boy, like feeling left out in a social group, can still manifest itself in like stored trauma in your body, right? Feeling it manifests in not feeling like you're enough in, you know, people pleasing, whatever it might be. And so, you know, my experience with going inside is that when you start to find the areas, and again, this is all personal to each individual, you start to find the areas that are most raw and the most sensitive and, you know, potentially the ones that you've stored in your basement for the longest time, like those become difficult for parts of you. Because it really requires you to be really brave in those moments. It requires you to really choose choose to love those parts when really so so much of your conditioning, so much of everything you've experienced in your life potentially suggests for you to do otherwise. But if you can't love those parts of you, if you can't truly embody unconditional self-love, well, who will? And so, you know, the challenges on my journey in terms of this has been that, um, you know, it's been less so in the external world, like challenges in the external world always for me is around perspective anyway, right? And so, you know, whether it's something difficult that happens in business or something difficult that happens in a romantic relationship or a breakup or anything like that, you know, I've gone through all of those things in my life for sure, right? And, you know, even coming out of a a long-term relationship at the start of the year, like for parts of me, like that's really challenging. Um, But again, for me, it's just a perspective shift, because what other people might see is, oh, that's a real challenge and all of those things. Yeah, if you are associated with a part of you that wants to be a victim and then see that as a challenge and really difficult, then yeah, it will be. But if you reframe it and flip it and see it as a beautiful gift, a beautiful opportunity to see the areas in which you're not free, an opportunity to allow yourself to love those parts of you that just need it the most and allow yourself to evolve, then suddenly what is seen as a challenge from one perspective is seen as an absolute gift from another 
And so for me, it really is about perspective. And, you know, if I had to really rank, you know, the most quote unquote challenging times or the ones that required me to step in or really grow and uh, evolve and what stress tests me the most, yeah, it would be the internal ones. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question and feel free to, you know, deep dive on any of those if you, if you want. No, absolutely. I guess, I mean, part of me wants to ask, you know, you've taken that journey into looking deeper inside yourself, which has been your greatest challenges. Is there part of you that wishes you took the other path, which I think a lot of us do choose to take, which is, I guess, yeah, more concerned with those challenges outside of ourselves, challenges at work, challenges with family, kind of the typical stuff that we see as these great adversities without without ever pulling back the veil and looking at ourselves, right? I guess in a sense, you know, ignorance is bliss. Do you feel like there's moments where it's like, if I just didn't know any better, <laughs> maybe, you know, staying in an old career that was just purely outward focused and, um, you know, blissfully ignorant for the rest of your life yeah such a awesome question mark and, and what i really want like to share with you and just for all the listeners is 100 percent because i'm still just a human right i'm still just a, a guy from melbourne right and that's how i kind of see it like i kind of reflect back and it's like yeah of course there are parts of me that find it really difficult of course there are parts of me that say you know this inner work journey like this feels like too much of course, there's parts of me that say, you know, if we didn't, quote unquote, see all of this stuff, then we could just keep living a life of avoidance or keep living a life where it's just easy. And so 100%, there are parts of me that feel those things. And still to this day, like even this idea of, you know, going towards enlightenment, like even when you're quote unquote enlightened, it's like, it's not like these parts just cease to exist. The real difference for me, and this has been my experience is that the difference is what do you choose? Because, yeah, you're always going to have different parts of you that are saying different things inside you, right? But literally think about it. And if you think about it, when there's a voice in your head, because you can hear voices in your head, you can hear your gut, you can hear like different emotions. And this is something, um, yeah, Dinus, who is the uh, kind of the head teacher or the CEO of um, Spiritual Fight Club kind of shares, is just like, well, if you hear a voice that requires someone else to be there right who's hearing the voice right mm. which is like your higher level of consciousness because if there's a voice well there has to be a listener as well right and so it's this idea that okay there's different parts of you that might say these things different parts of you that might want to throw in the towel proverbially you know and be like okay let's not keep doing inner work because it's tough <laughs> or different parts of you might say exactly as you said mark or it's like yeah what if we just didn't leave this job or didn't you know look under the rug and didn't do all those things. But it's in those moments that define the people that we are, the character that we show that we have. Because we can talk about doing all the hard stuff until it comes time to choose. And then what do we choose? And so I'm not at all saying that I don't have parts that want to run the other way. But it's if I see myself as a man of character, or if I see myself as wanting to be someone who is congruent and aligned and willing to walk the walk, yeah, man, in those moments, I, I don't have to do anything, but I choose the, the part that, you know, the path that might seem a little bit more difficult. But if I really fl- zoom out, 
and flash forwards, it's like, yeah, that's if everybody chooses avoidance, where does the world look? Mm. What does mm. future generations have then? Mm. But in those moments, if we have people of character, men, women, people who don't identify as either, right? If we have those people that are willing to choose and be brave and because they're surrounded by people who do actually have their back, who do actually support and unconditionally love them, well, we can actually just start the domino effect. Maybe it doesn't happen in our, in our lifetimes, Mark. But like if we're here to heal generational trauma, if we're here to start generational light, if we're here to genuinely like change climate change, if we're here to genuinely stop bigotry, division, all of these things that like are very, still very prevalent in the world today, yeah, well, we get judged on our actions, don't we? Not just on our words. Yeah, and it's really what you've just illuminated for me there as well, that it isn't just about us. Like this work is for all of those around us also and those who we're growing and developing to become the next generation, right? It's not just us, um, but it is also for a much greater good as well. What does it feel like when you're writing and performing poetry? Yeah, so the distinction I'll make is like the place from where I want to write is like where I feel most connected with myself. For sure, like, especially because I want to build a practice and, and get better at it, you know, like any other skill. Sometimes I'm writing because I'm like, I have to, you know, drill a specific technique or I have to improve my writing in these areas and I write more from my mind. And, you know, that doesn't feel as connected and, you know, as flowy for me, right? But when something comes up and I'm feeling through some stuff and, you know, the inner work, it's it's there, right? And I'm right off the bat of doing like the inner work, <laughs> Now I'm writing, it feels, it feels so pure. I feel so in flow. I feel so connected. I feel so peaceful. And within all of that stuff, it's, this is the paradox. It's like, I feel peaceful, but I also feel the maelstrom of emotions at the same time. I feel it all. So it's like, I, I feel the peace. It's like, actually one of my poems is on this is like, you feel like you're in a hurricane and you're standing still in the middle. Mm. And it's like, yeah, it's that. It's like there's craziness around me and it's like it's really beautiful for me to be able to feel and see all those things and allow them to actually be here with me. Then it's also a peace that allows me just to share and express because there's no judgment to how those parts are feeling. There's no judgment for what comes up. It's just what comes up. And I love this idea and it's another quote. And it, is, um, it says there's no such thing as writer's block. There's just self-judgment. Mm. And that's how it really feels because when I feel really connected with myself at my, at my deepest level with my soul, with my heart, mm. I don't judge what's coming up because it's just coming up. I just happened to write it on a page. <laughs> and I remember the first time I performed um, or just shared one of my poems with uh, a friend over in the US who is a spoken word artist. Um, he, he's like, oh, how long did that take to write? I was like, oh, I don't know maybe like half an hour, 45 minutes. I just wrote, sat down, I wrote it. And he's like, are you serious? Because yeah, for him, his experience of it is something that he crafts and, you know, he's, he's very talented. He crafts and he redoes and all that stuff. But at that time, that was really early in my kind of journey with that. I was like, oh no, I'm just, that's just what came out. And I just wrote it down. So I was just really connected with whatever's there or in some ways to extend the paradox of so disconnected from what was happening that it was, happening through me it's no longer even me just doing it it's just the words are coming through me 
And so my experience of writing is that. Um, my experience of performance, yeah, when I really slow down and I connect with the part of me that wrote that, yeah, it's a really, like when I really am able to be and embody that part of me that wrote it, like it's kind of like a time machine. It's a teleportation device. Like I go right back into it. I just feel all the things and yeah, it's really therapeutic. It's really beautiful. And yeah, that's the, and I'm still working on being able to perform from that place every single time. And, you know, for me, like in addition to, you know, being able to move a lot of social impact issues forwards and build businesses that are going to make a difference. They're the things that are really exciting to me to be able to live from that place and, and have choice be able to perform from that place and just being able to, it's like kind of visiting a part of you, right? And be like, oh, I haven't seen you for a little while. Like, thank you so much for like sending me that letter or sharing that poem. Like, I really just want to honor you and be there and come back and meet you and spend some time with you. And that's what the poems feel like to me. They feel like literal teleportation devices into a period of time, into, you know, for me to meet a part of my consciousness and meet a part of myself and then just share that moment with them. And just invite other people into, you know, whatever that, you know, intimate experience is with that part of me. And that's really what my poetry um, is. Mm. And do you get that feeling or place of being, doing anything else? <sighs> to this depth, I don't. Um, yeah, to, to this level of depth, I don't. Like there is... Um, yeah, there's definitely flow states I've achieved before and whether it's, you know, in the physical realm, whether it's, you know, working out, I think in business previously, I've definitely been able to access flow states and, um, you know, when I'm learning and I'm really deep in that or I feel really connected with a partner, like I'm able to access those flow states. But this, this feels very different. I have not been able to access this level of, it's like heightened emotion um, in motion, right? Is how I actually experience it. When I do the inner work, I feel, yeah, I, I don't think I've felt as connected as I have when I start to do the inner work to that degree. Um, and that is mirrored in kind of my poetry and my writing. But the exhilaration of performance, the exhilaration of sharing these moments with people, like I'm, I'm yet to find something that feels the same. And it's not a good or a bad thing, but to answer your question, yeah, it is a unique experience for me. Mm. And what do you think it's like for the listener? You know, do you think it can be as powerful as a listener or do you think a lot of the power is in the creation or a mixture? Yeah, well, this is anecdotally. Um, yeah, the poetry I've shared with uh, people definitely get a range of responses. Um, but some people like who really connect with, when people share the same part, let's say, so, you know, one of my poems is around, you know, this chase, this perpetual chase for like status or achievement really to only understand it was all because I didn't feel like I was enough. Mm. Uh, so people who share that journey or can really relate to that, they really feel that. Or, you know, I've written a lot of poems around like love and relationships and all these things. And again, in the same way, like for me, it would be likened to music. Like there is, you know, a certain connection a performer has with the music but then people who listen to it who resonate with that message or the the story or you know maybe it's the musicality they're going to have their own journey and that's what I really love because you know I have no control over how people receive and how people experience my poetry and in a lot of ways I don't want to 
because like that's a deeply personal thing because I can say some words to you, Mark, and it might land so differently based on everything that you've lived through. I can say the exact same words to somebody else and it's going to be different. So I actually really love that everybody's experience of whether it's my poetry or poetry in general or art really is so unique to themselves. And yeah, I've had everything from my, when I was reading it to my sisters, you know, they're my best friends, but we have a very um, jovial kind of give each other shit sort of vibe. And um, when I was like, oh, I've got into poetry and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, can I read one for you? And they're like, oh yeah, they're super supportive as well. Um, and I read it to them. And then afterwards they were just silent and they're like, don't take offense to this. That was so much better than we were expecting. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, I've had that experience and, um, you know, I've I've shared it with like people I've never met before, um, you know, at a performance or something like that. And, you know, they've shared kind of the journey it took them on. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, it's not about me. It's, It's like when, like I've done what my parts needed when I wrote it and I connected with them. And so when I share it, it's, it's, it's this idea of it's almost like I'm a custodian for the message. Is I'm a custodian for that moment. And so I kind of let it go. And so when I perform it, when I, you know, release a poem or, you know, I write something new, it's, it's kind of giving it out to the universe, giving it out to the world, giving it to my audience and say, you know, do it, do with it as you will. And so, you know, if it lands with people, amazing. If it doesn't, amazing. Like it's, it's not my place to judge. It's not my place to try to control anything else. And, you know, my journey with it is if I'm able to continually come back to the place that is most authentic, it's like, yeah, that's real, authentic, sincere emotion. And people are going to relate to that. And so, you know, I, the idea of being able to communicate around social impact issues, whether it's, you know, broken masculinity, whether it's, you know, racism, division, anything like that, being able to speak it, convey a message in a way that other people have it. It's like, yeah, I've previously been, you know, a public speaker, like keynotes, conferences, I've done all the things as well. And, you know, that was a great time and it was fun for that, like me at that age. But when I kind of flash forwards, I'm like, yeah, if I can communicate a message, because this idea of ideas in and of themselves, like, it gets to a stage where they start to become commodities, right? If you think about the New York Times bestsellers now, they just repackage wisdom from thousands of years ancient text, right? And so if you think about that, it's like, well, the idea itself isn't what's scarce. It's your ability to communicate, repack, oh, I don't know if it's repackaged is the right word, but ability to communicate in a way that lands and resonates with the audience today. Because that's how you're going to make the biggest impact. And so for me, it's like, well, poetry is a way to communicate or express myself in a way that is unique to what's out there. And, you know, it's everybody's entitled to whatever they think is important in the world, but like the sorts of missions I want to move forwards or being able to communicate them in a way that's very unique. Well, if that means more people are going to resonate, more people are going to take notice because, oh, wait, those two lines just rhymed. He's talking about a topic I've heard before, but like, oh, that's actually kind of more interesting to listen to. I don't know. I just give it another 10 seconds of my attention. And then what happens if those 10 seconds cascade to three minutes? And what happens if the message that was able to land in those three minutes is able to move, move that person's life in a direction that previously it wouldn't have. And I'm like, that for me is what's really important. This goes back to like really ancient days as well. Like orators, like the news used to be read in prose like that right? Messages used to be communicated in that way. What if I was making it contemporary and bringing it back now? 
because our culture, like if you look at the locus of our culture, a lot of it's moved forwards through movies, right? So the messages behind movies, messages behind songs, they're still messages, right? But because the song, for whatever reason, is landing in a way like is, you know, super catchy or whatever it is, people start reciting the lyrics. They start like thinking about these things. But if you think about the sort of messages most songs are talking about now, it's like, well, personally, I don't believe they're moving the world forwards. So what if there was a way to communicate really important messages in a way that's just suddenly interesting? And if my poetry is able to do it, amazing. And when it comes to the work that you're doing, um, what do you think are the, what are the human qualities that are really integral to that? Yeah. So do you mean in the inner work or do you mean like my businesses or? Uh, I mean, I guess more into the inner work and, and, and writing and performing poetry. Yeah. I think vulnerability is a huge part. Yeah. Like how willing are you actually to write poems or create art, let's say, because, you know, people listening to this might say, you know, I'm not a great writer. Like, how do I write poetry? And then what if I said, what if poetry had nothing to do with words? What if the poetry of your life is your most unique expression? What if a piece of art is poetry? What if a business is poetry? What if arts and like crafts and something you build or, you know, a carpenter who builds something that's super unique, what if that's poetry? And so for me, like the idea of poetry or what I do, let's say, is, yeah, uniquely linked to my willingness to be vulnerable, number one, with myself, because that's where it starts. And then from that place, how brave am I willing to choose to be to share that with other people? And then, yeah, imbued within that as well, there's just also like a commitment because it's like, yeah, any skill, like, sure, there's certain things that flow through me, but there is there a necessarily a discipline to work on those skill sets? Because it might be a base plate, but, you know, not to say I don't edit, I don't iterate, you know, it's still a long process for me because I'm not thinking about this over the next year. I'm thinking about in the next 30 years. How's my body of work going to be remembered and even take myself out of it in 30 years? How are my words able to move forward to a mission that I might not have any other touch point with? Because that's an important thing. What if one of my poems changes somebody's paradigm of the entire world? That means he or she then goes on to pursue a life that is better for the world. What if Amanda Gorman's whole mission, not just for me, what if her poem touched somebody else that then they went on to build a really successful company that's able to impact the world in a way that no entrepreneur's ever done? What if Amanda Gorman's played her role in the butterfly effect or the domino effect to just push the world into a better place? And so that's how I kind of think about it and it requires a level of commitment and it requires a level of resilience. And also like, yeah, I think bravery is probably the biggest thing because from bravery like bravery begets the ability to love yourself because loving yourself is not an quote-unquote easy thing to do it might sound simple there's a very important distinction between simplicity and ease because it's, it's dead simple just love yourself it's, it's freaking hard to do when the entire world your entire experience of the world and so many parts of you like are rebelling against you because they said you haven't loved us all the way down for our entire life. It's like, yeah, in those moments, what are you going to choose? And so it's the bravery plus the commitment that allows us to build the foundation of character for me in my world and how I see it, that we can actually make the world a better place. Mm. And do you think bravery also enables us to be vulnerable? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They almost, 
I don't even know if they're different sides of the same coin. They almost <laughs> feel like the same sides of the same coin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what's been your biggest life lesson so far? Oh. It's a big question, isn't it? Question. <laughs> just, just dropping the bombs right here. I love here. it. I love it. You're like, all right, cool. Just a small question. <laughs> There's so many layers to this. But it does all boil down to beneath everything, the answer is love. And the reason I kind of preface that with like nuances is a lot of people and parts of them will create matrices around what that means. They might conflate self-indulgence with love. They might conflate avoidance with love. They might conflate attachment with love. But the biggest lesson behind all of it is, you know, the suffering that permeates through the ways in which we live our lives and most people live their lives comes from a place of a lack of love. Because, yeah, whether we look at division, whether we look at, you know, violence, whether we look at, you know, prejudice, all of those things comes back, like number one, comes back to generational trauma. But then in order to end the cycle of trauma, The only way is to choose love. And so this can manifest in any area of anybody's life, right? So when people are starting to think about this idea, you know, potentially they want to be an entrepreneur. They want to build a business. Maybe they want to, you know, work on themselves to build a beautiful family, whatever somebody's aspirations are. If you really start to peel back all the layers, like the hurdles, the challenges, the blockages in the ways of achieving that from a place of fulfillment is this idea of, in some point in the journey, a part of them will be scared to love themselves. And the way I think about it and, you know, a distinction that's become really important in my life is everybody talks about falling in love, right? And what if love was a place? What if, so I'm in Melbourne, you're in Sydney. For you and I to both be in Sydney together, you would first need to be in Sydney and then I'd have to come join you in Sydney, Right. Well, for us to be in love, a place, a state, a destination requires first one of us to actually be in love first and then invite the other person there. But if the majority of us are not actually truly living in love, unconditional, true love, agape, whatever word you want to use, then how can we ever invite somebody else in? And so when a lot of people talk about falling in love, they're just really falling into attachment. To truly live in love, like that is one of the most challenging, but most beautiful and worthwhile journeys, I believe, that we should be going on. Because from a place where we're all living in love, yeah, that's actually how we achieve world peace. It's actually, because if we're living in peace with ourselves, well, our inside is our outside. And so it's the congruence piece. And so... I don't know if that answers the question, but that's probably one of the biggest lessons for me. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, so many triggers for me right there, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> triggers are part of your mark, and that's all cool. Yeah. Um, but look, I think that's, you know, that that's a grand message or life lesson for all of us, right? Like that's uh, that's something that we don't often give enough time to. And I'm definitely guilty of that. I think that's why I feel quite triggered hearing you talk right now is because, you know, that 
that message of especially in regards to self-love being in love especially before inviting someone else in I mean that's just and we've got that old adage right I mean that's been around forever how can how can someone love you if you don't love yourself like we say that but without you know we probably we just don't give it the respect that that deserves or the time or the effort to make it real yeah I would invite people to also just think about like, cause you're right. You know, what I just said seems abstract, potentially esoteric. Um, but I would encourage everybody to ask the question. Now what mm. say that you care about that? Well, what are you actually going to do? Because if you actually loved yourself, how would your actions in your life change? And I think that level of radical accountability, ironically coming from a place of love with people who love you enough, who are willing to call you in, Without those people in your lives, then you're just going to continue to perpetuate a matrix. You're going to live in your own virtual reality. But if you have people around you who are actually saying, hey, Mark, there's a part of you that really needs your love right now. Why are you not choosing to love him? And if people really powerfully call you in, well, it's at those points that you can actually be able to choose love. Because everybody talks about self-love. Not that many people, if... I think very few people worldwide are actually practicing it. So that's one of the changes, especially the spiritual fight club, divine feminine. It's like, that's what we're trying to change. It's like standardizing self-love. Well, what does that actually mean? Because everybody says it. As you keep peeling back the layers, are you actually going to find love beneath that? Or are you going to find fear? Because when there's fear, there is no love, which is a quote from Krishnamurti. Bravery. Choose bravery first. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, I take that too. (laughs) let's go back to business for a moment so you you write poetry for brands was this a kind of you know the the two worlds that you have encompassed entrepreneurship poetry is is it just a meeting of the two in the middle yeah so i run two businesses one's an actual uh one's a technology company actually the other is a media company and so you know within the media company, one thing that I've just felt drawn to is, you know, working with clients and kind of using art as a way to tell their story. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, our creative team just making incredible art that looks very different or making, you know, trailers and videos that are able to communicate messages that are very different. Um, Because obviously there's the saturation of content now and that's just a real thing. And so, you know, what happens if we're not trying to race to the bottom and trying to find, you know, the, the best edge of, you know, the best social media optimized video or anything like that. And what if we were trying to reverse that? And what if we were trying to feel through a brand story and their soul and being able to communicate it in a way that is distinctly different? Because when we're actually able to hone in and, and speak from that place and build a brand and tell a story from that place, well, suddenly it actually is unique and it is different. And so, you know, that's something, you know, we quote unquote write poetry for brands. But it's what I said before, it's like poetry in and of itself doesn't always have to relate to words. What if the poetry of a brand is the story, the soul, the essence of a brand? Maybe for a lot of people, they're listening and they're like, well, that's creative. That's creative jargon. It's like, okay, great. But now what? Like if you really feel through that, what does actually a poem for a brand mean? And so, you know, I've done for a few social impact organizations, things I feel really drawn to. And then, you know, it's also just something that, you know, as I kind of forward project and I see, you know, a lot of the ways that I'm writing and the things that I care about. And it's like, yeah, I, I know that another, another um, concept I love is like a good explanation has exponential reach. 
And so, you know, there's a reason why there's certain quotes that have lasted for hundreds of years that if you and I say it today, they're like, think about it. It's like 10 words, right? Give or take, whatever. And that's going to be remembered forever. And so there's a potency and a profundity in words and the sequence of words and the combination of words and the mixture of words. So when you put it all together or creating a really beautiful, whether it's, you know, uh, telling a story of a brand or a poem, creating a, you know, a mini movie based around a poem or creating a piece of content that really lands once that has exponential reach because you can create it once and it can scale forever. And so, you know, from a pure business perspective, that's something that, you know, is, is something my companies do. Um, and then technology is something I'm interested in. And, you know, just a lot of my energetic attention now, from my personal point of view goes towards my social impact ventures. Um, and, you know, working with spiritual fight club and, you know, all of that stuff is, is really big in my life. And, you know, for me, long-term it's, you know, I want to be spending my time moving the world forwards and however that looks, yeah, I'm learning to become unattached to the how just understand, and it sounds a little cliche, but just understand my why and just double down on that. Well, look, I think this has brought us to the right time. <laughs> Did you want to give us a little demo just to put you on the spot? Sure. Let's... How does that How does that feel? I, you know, we're talking about spoken word poetry and the performance of it. I was like, I feel like now might be a good time. All right. So I'll um I'll throw the ball over to you, Mark, to kind of like be the the host and you can choose the poem that I read, right? So I'll read, okay. I'll read you three titles um, and then you can pick. So the first one is called Best or Forgotten. The second one is called Positive Some Love. And then the third one is called Have We Met Before? Oh, definitely the second one. Positive Some Love? Yeah. I mean, based on what we were just talking about, I think that's the right choice. Cool. I'm so scared I'm going to lose you. Straight up, there's so much of me that doesn't want to lose you. I'm choosing you every day, so losing you without a say feels like hell. I can tell how well I fell for you because there's a well and spell that wants me to hold on. Hold on for dear life because I don't want to lose you. Is this true love? Is this an intervention from above? Or is this attracting attention and atoning for another attachment? creating chaos, causing crippling cramps of attachment. Because right now, my body just doesn't want to lose you. When you're not here with me, it's hard for me to see why you're choosing me. The part of me that wants to flee is up in harms, predicting, projecting, preparing me for possible harms. Because these parts are powerfully protecting painful possibilities from possessing me, obsessing me, messing me when I'm addressing the fear of losing you. But it's because I love you, I think. It's because the idea of not being with you makes my heart sink. That's why I'm just so damn scared I'm going to lose you. But is this true love? Is true love really zero sum? The more we love, the less love we have to give. The idea that love is reactive, selective, and relative doesn't feel true. The more I feel into it, the less that it feels true. Because true love, if I'm being honest, isn't about me or you as much as it feels that way right now. It's really because I don't want to allow in the possibility of losing you. Because honestly, without you, I don't know who will make me feel this way. 
Every day I say that I will pay whatever may be the price of love, but here I am trying to price your love and entice your love to a place of possession, a place of zero-sumness, just so I can feel a wholeness and numb what I think is a whole mess inside me. But is this true love? When I'm using you to film me rather than fulfill me, the reason I'm scared right now is because I disavow my own responsibility my own ability to heal my fragility and create stability through the act of truly loving myself. Not in a way that I'm just self-soothing, searching for someone to save me, but in a way where I'm just self-proving to myself that I will continue to be there. Not scare and compare myself to anyone else. Just be there. Anywhere. Because true love is when I no longer have a choice. Because true love is not something that shrinks when it's given. It grows great and grand when it's given. Because true love is exponentially expanding expressions, exceeding expectations of what we think it is. True love is more than we can ever know. Because it will infinitely continue to outgrow our mind. So what we will find behind the misaligned definition of love is that it is something we can never think our way through, only feel. And when you feel the real deal, it will heal you still. Because true love is just about love. Love for everyone and everything. In true love, we don't actually have a say in which way, on what day, or who may be the object of that love. Because at its heart, our heart will start to chart love when we allow it to become us. True love will help us become. True love can only ever be positive sum. That is beautiful. I wish I had a digital round of applause. (laughs) I can hear our listeners in the future clapping. That is so beautiful, James. And I mean, of course, the viewers can't see you. I can see you. But there's clearly uh, there's clearly a lot of emotion in that from the very start. Um, where, where did that come from? Was that from a place of what you were feeling in the moment of writing that? or? Yeah. So that one was, yeah, that was more of a... Yeah, it was a reflection on this idea of like attachment and relationships. So not only my relationships, you know, with previous partners, but, you know, other people's relationships with myself. And so it's just this idea that, you know, when a lot of people's suffering and a lot of people's heartache in, in relationships is because they feel like when we love that one person, they conflate love with attachment. They, they think, okay, well, he loves me. So he can't possibly love anyone else. And so it's this idea that, well, love in that case is zero sum. There's a fear, there's a scarcity that, you know, it's going to run out. My experiences have just gone deeper in myself is, you know, when we really keep peeling back the layers at our very core, all there is is love. And if our core is all the same, then all around us, all there is is love. And so... Yeah, that's not to say that, you know, we don't have relationships and we don't choose to build a life with someone. 
but it is for me in my reflections to shed light on this idea of what is true love. And for me, true love is just the, the very base plate, the very core of what we all are. If we live from that place, well, yeah, we can build incredible relationships, incredible families, whatever somebody's, you know, ideal future in a romantic sense looks like. But from a place of love, when we're not scared, it's going to run out. And we know that if we just could keep going in ourselves, it's always there. That's where it came from. And, you know, it was a real ode to different stages of my life where, you know, I too, parts of me were really attached to the idea of love being finite. And because I hadn't found it in myself, that I, that part of me was really scared that if somebody else didn't love me, then I would not be able to feel the love myself. It's like I wasn't living in love. I was just visiting what I thought or those, those parts thought was love because of somebody else. But as soon as they say they, they're leaving or, you know, the relationship isn't right for them, well, suddenly that part of me becomes terrified because it's become so attached to what he thought was from them, which is really something that's always been in myself. Well, thank you so much for sharing that part of yourself. It's a, it's a, that is a really beautiful thing and very brave. Like I just, (laughs) I'm trying to picture myself in that situation and so many triggers. Anyway, (laughs) look, it's been so great chatting to you. Um, I've got a final question, uh, which we ask all of our guests and what is it that you want more than anything else in this life? (sighs) Yeah, I would love for people to choose okay yeah it sounds cliche but i would love for people to choose love and what that means is i would love for people to choose the bravery that it takes to do the inner work because it's not like you just click your fingers and you know based on all of our conditioning we just come to love even though that's what we were all born as like what i'd love to see in the world is people brave enough to do the inner work and so you know all of us to get to that place because you know if all of us are living from that place. The world looks very, very different. So yeah, the invitation to anyone is really, yeah, you're not alone. There are other people that really care about this mission as well. And other people that really care about you who have never met you. And yeah, I would just love, 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 ironically, pun unintended here, but I would love for people, yeah, to choose themselves and actually give themselves the respect that they deserve, which means yeah, be brave and go feel all the things that, you know, parts of you have been scared to feel because on the back end of that, you're going to be able to heal all those things. And from that place, yeah, fuck. Like we can actually just make the world a much better place. Mm. That is a beautiful message uh, and an incredible mission to be on as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. It's been a really wonderful chat. I've really enjoyed this. I feel like there's been moments when I forgot I had headphones on. I felt (laughs) like I was getting a little bit of therapy, uh, potentially some well-needed therapy. Thank you very much for sharing, which is, you know, your story. And again, you know, illuminating to all of us the power of telling your story um, and being vulnerable and the bravery that comes with that. So thank you very much. Um, where can people find you if they want to connect? Yeah, well, I think the things that I care about most right now is, yeah, probably my poetry and kind of the missions that we're on. So um, you can find me on my socials at JQN Studios. Um, we're just going to properly launch that next year. But yeah, like my poem portraits and all my other series are there right now. And um, yeah, I'll look to start touring some live shows and stuff next year as well. So 
um, go to the website, JQN Studios. And yeah, if you are if you care about loving yourself more, go to spiritualfightclub.com or go to Divine Feminine Experience, which there's going to be an event up in Sydney for 200 women and we're going to put it on for free. And uh, yeah, that's going to be a magical experience as well. So that's that. And yeah, please reach out. I would love to hear from anybody who listens to this, anybody who wants to um, get in touch. Yeah, feel free to reach out. Fantastic. And guys, we'll make sure we get those links in the show notes as well. So check them out. James, thank you so much for being here. We are eternally grateful. Awesome, man. This is so much fun. Such a pleasure. Chat soon. Thanks so much for pressing play today. I hope you've enjoyed this chat with James and I. There's a lot in here for me to go and digest, and I hope the same for you as well. If you're loving this podcast, then we would be very grateful for a rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Equally, if you could tell your friends and family, that would be great. And until next time, bye for now.